We're turning in God's Word to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As far as remembering how often I've been here, I don't know. My, my forgettery is working better than my memory at this stage. But regardless, I'm glad I'm here to be able to bring the Lord's Word to you. Philippians chapter 3. I never retired, just in case the minister would like to know not officially anything. I had to step aside to take care of my wife in her last couple of years of her life, but uh, there was no official retirement, so I consider myself still active, and uh, as the Lord gives me opportunity, I want to continue to preach His Word as long as I can. I have found that one of the most difficult things in my entire life is sitting in a pew. I've been doing that the last two years plus. And it's not a place that someone God has called to preach likes to be, to sit in the pew. It's not because of the preacher. It's just because you want to be up in the pulpit preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. But uh, I'm glad for the opportunities I have to come and to bring the Lord's Word. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin our reading in verse 1. Let's all hear the Lord's Word. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh." If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me Those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead... Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. 
And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. And God will bless the public reading of his word to our hearts for his name's sake. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Let's all seek the Lord's face together. Let's all pray. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, it is in that matchless name, that all-prevailing name of Jesus Christ, that we bow once again in thy presence. We do so, our God, confessing that without the Spirit's help, we can do nothing. We need thy grace both to preach and to hear and understand and know the kind of application that we need to make to our own hearts, to our homes, to our church. Father, we pray that thou wilt give help to thy servant to proclaim the truth of thy word in simplicity and yet in the power of the Holy Ghost. Grant him the grace to make much of Christ even as we look at one of his followers. We pray, Lord, that when the, when the last amen is said, we will know that thou hast met with us. Thou hast come and sat down beside thy people. Thou hast stood beside thy servant. And we'll have a word from God that we can take with us throughout this entire year. We want thee to do this, Lord, yes, for our good, but ultimately for thine own glory, that Christ might be praised, for he is indeed all the glory of Emmanuel's land. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. It's nothing short of remarkable to be able to tell other Christians to imitate your life. Do as I do. Live like I live. Can you do that? Anyone can say the words, imitate me. But how many are there who can, with Holy Ghost authority, Holy Ghost-inspired honesty, tell other Christians, imitate me. Live like I live, and you'll be fine. And yet that's exactly what Paul does in verse 17 of this chapter. He tells these Philippian Christians, Brethren, be followers together of me. A more literal rendering of the text would be, Brothers, join others in following my example. Join others who are following me. He's telling these Christians in essence, if, if, you want to, if you want to know how to live the Christian life, look at me. Study the pattern that I have left you. Take my lead. Follow me. And you'll do well. Of course, the opposite is true. If you don't, you will not prosper. You will not do well. It seems 
A bit arrogant, don't you think? At first blush. A bit arrogant. But there's one thing that Paul was not, and that was arrogant. The same man who in five other places in his epistles exhorted Christians to imitate him is also the one who declared that he was, in his own view, the chief of sinners and less than least of all the saints. Again, he was uttering those words under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and he was not lying. That is how he felt. It was not some kind of false humility. This is how Paul viewed himself, less than least of all the saints. It was Paul in this this very same chapter who declared that all of his accomplishments as a Jew, as a Pharisee, as a keeper of the law, he viewed them as dung. It was this same apostle who wrote to the Corinthian church, by the grace of God, I am what I am. However conceited men may think that his calls upon Christians to, to mimic him may be, it can never be said that Paul was full of himself. If he had had the opportunity to actually come into contact with the Apostle Paul, you would have found him one of the most gracious, self-deprecating, humble men you'd ever met. God would see to that, as you'll read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, one who had been given so many blessings had these visions of heaven, and God sent this messenger, thorn in the flesh, lest he be exalted above measure. We must be careful to note what he went on to say. In that same verse, verse 17, not only imitate me, but mark them. That word mark means contemplate, to, to carefully consider them which also walk as ye have us for an example. In other words, Paul is saying, not only do I want you to follow my example, but be sure that you take careful note of others who behave according to the pattern we left you. Make sure you're pattern your life after them as well. Therefore, not only was Paul's life to be held up as a pattern for how we are to live the Christian life day in and day out, the normal Christian life. But there were other Christians, not so famous as Paul, who also had a life that could be marked as an example to be followed. Why was that so? That's the question. We can say from Paul's words, it's because that these other believers have followed Paul's pattern. And therefore, to follow them would be, in essence, to follow Paul, to live like he did, to, to study his life. Again, it's, it's an amazing thing to me that the Holy Spirit would move Paul to write, imitate me, mimic me, follow me, and follow those who follow me. 
While that answer would be true in and of itself, follow them because they follow me, it doesn't give us the whole truth. The whole truth is found in a statement that Paul makes to the Corinthian church in chapter 11 of that epistle. Be ye followers of me, imitators, the word means, even as I also am of Christ. Now that explains everything. Paul imitated, he mimicked Jesus Christ. Not perfectly, but as much as the grace of God that was given to him and the Holy Ghost filled them, this apostle Paul walked daily in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he could tell others, follow me. And following him, he knew they would be following Christ because that's who he's following. What a testimony that it is to the grace of God that was found in Paul's life. That's what you must understand this day. And all that I'm going to say, all that Paul was by his own mouth, I am what I am by the grace of God. And if I am an ensample to other Christians, if I can tell them that you follow me because I follow Christ, it's all because of God's grace. You can't earn it. You can't work it up. It's freely given. Freely given to his people. What about us? I guess that's the question for us as we contemplate a new year. Another year of walking with the Lord. Another year of the work of God. What of us? Would Paul be able, if he were alive today, to tell other believers in this church, as he did to the believers in the church of Philippi, just follow them. Imitate them. And you'll do well. Would he be able to say that of you? And of me? The answer to that question would depend on whether or not we have patterned our life after Christ. If we're walking in his footsteps. It's for this reason I draw your attention to verses 13 and 14 of this chapter, well-known verses. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If that is not a goal to set before your home, before your church, and before your heart, I don't know what else is. This is the one thing that Paul says, I'm pressing for, I'm striving for in my life. This mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. From those two verses, I want to speak for a little bit this morning on the imitation of Christ in the life of Paul. 
the imitation of Christ in the life of Paul. If Christians in Paul's day could learn how to live like Christ by watching him, I can only conclude that Christians in our day can learn to imitate Christ by looking at the Apostle Paul. First, I want us to consider for a few moments the shortcomings in Paul's life. The shortcomings in Paul's life. Now, it may seem strange, I guess, to start out with one who so imitated Christ to begin with his shortcomings. But here is where Paul himself begins. And he does so using an image that would have been well known to the, to the Gentiles of his day, the image of a runner in a race. So verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He's not yet reached the finish line. He's not reached the goal. In its context, the statement strikes tacitly at the Judaizers who, in their attempt to woo the Gentile believers away from following Christ, away from the gospel, were claiming that they had already reached perfection through the law of Moses. There are a lot of Christians, I'm afraid, that are striving to be like Christ through the law, doing the best they can. The law was never intended to be that means of transforming us into the image of his son. The law can expose our sin. The law can bring conviction. It can tell us what pleases God and what doesn't please him, but it has no power to actually transform our life. It wasn't designed to do that. It gives us God's standard of what perfection is. But these Judaizers Judaizers were actually, we've reached it, you know. We are really living the life because we're followers of Moses. That's in the context here, the, the immediate context of what Paul is saying that their confidence, their confidence was in the flesh. Paul says, I have no confidence in the flesh. As far as the law is concerned, touching the, the righteousness in the law, another big statement he's making, I'm blameless. You couldn't find anything wrong with me. But I view it as dung now, all of that that I thought was so pleasing to God. Paul makes it clear that even though he had counted all things lost for the excellency, the superiority of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he, he still had not reached perfection. In other words, as much as he was striving to, to be like Jesus Christ, to be an example to others, he knew he was still far from being perfect. was a man who still had many shortcomings. He still had sin in his life, failures, flaws. 
If ever there was a man who followed hard after Jesus Christ, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet for all that, Paul, like all of us, was plagued with shortcomings because he was plagued with the flesh, just like you and me. Just read the last half of Romans 7 and hear the anguish of Paul as he wrestles with the sin that's still in his members. The things that I hate, I don't want to do them. I find myself doing them. You know what that's like. The things I really want to do and I pray God to be able to do, I find I don't do them. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's Paul. Not talking about some present time in his life, but talking about the here and now of his life. This is my daily struggle. What does this fact say to you and me? A couple of things. First, if this man had not reached perfection... This one who had so abandoned himself to following Jesus Christ, giving up everything to follow him and to know him. What does that say about you and me? In spirituality and in likeness to Jesus Christ, Paul was light years ahead of us all. His spiritual eyesight was a whole lot clearer than ours. His wisdom far exceeded ours. I can't begin to imagine what it would have been like to be able to listen in on a regular basis to the prayer life of Paul. Look at his burden for souls. He could wish himself accursed for his kinsmen according to the flesh if it would just bring about their salvation. A burden he lived with. Not just when he heard messages about the need for soul winners. It lived with him constantly. Look at his sufferings for Christ and the gospel. He enumerates enumerates them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Beaten, whipped, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked. He suffered like none of us have ever suffered. Study his humility. I would become all things to all men, he said, for the sake of the gospel. He wouldn't compromise the gospel. But someone didn't have to cross his T's and dot their I's before he would be a friend to them and love them. He walked humbly with his God. He knew what he was, just an old sinner saved by grace. He knew that. Look long and hard at his love for Christ. That was the supreme love of his life. To me, to live, he said, is Christ, and to die is gain. I would rather be with Christ than be in this world. That's a big statement. 
Consider his unflinching obedience to the word of God. His grasp of the gospel. And yet he says, I count not myself to have apprehended. You know what? The, the, the fact of the matter is that the most eminent Christians, and I mean eminent in holiness of life, they don't see themselves as eminent. Others may see it, but they just don't see it. They see all of their shortcomings, all of their imperfections, all of their unchristlike ways, what they have not laid hold of yet. That's what they see. I remember years ago, the first time I read through the diary of Andrew Bonner. I'm sure you all know that name. His life and his sermons were saturated with the fragrance of Jesus Christ. You can't help but read his diary and not see that. He loved the Lord, loved to preach Christ. He spent hours in prayer. He would go off to the woods in the summertime, three hours at a time in the place of prayer. And yet you will find in his diary toward the end of his life, lamenting his own life of prayerlessness. If we're going to look at Paul, then we need to walk, as we think about this incoming year, this lesson we need to take to heart, we need to walk in humility. Walk in humility, in self-abasement, having right and biblical views of ourselves and of our spiritual state. You see, the Lord would want us to be Freshly aware of our need of what Paul was seeking. We need, we need a fresh sight of that fact that we have not obtained perfection, that we have a long, long way to go, that we have nothing to brag about, nothing to boast about in ourselves, nothing to glory in. How foolish that would be. You talk about one of the greatest hindrances to a believer's progress in the Christian walk, it is pride. It glorifies self when what we're here for is to glorify the Lord. What I would want for me, what I would want for you, we would go as low as the grace of God will take us so that our attitude would be day in and day out not like that Pharisee who went before God and prayed Lord I thank thee that I am not like other men but God I am what I am by the grace of God that's a great way to start the year I am what I am By God's grace. And if we don't do that, we will be complacent about our walk with God. Complacent. We will remain smugly self-satisfied with where we are. 
It's only those who see and feel their need that are moved to do anything about it. Oh, wouldn't that be a cry to begin the year with? Oh, God, make me feel, see and feel my need of Thee. How empty I am. How I cannot do a day without Thee. How much more of Thy grace I need in my life. Because you have to believe there's something more Brothers and sisters, there's something far more to the Christian life and the Christian walk than we've experienced. Is there not? Is this all there is? Is this all there is? Is this all we can expect? Not on your life. I must say that the closer, we, the closer we get to Christ, the more we see of his beauty, the more we will see our imperfections. If we live without prayer, without the word of God, in a preeminent place in our lives, we will imagine that all is well with us. But when we see the glory of the Lord through living in communion with him, we will say with Isaiah, woe is me for I am undone, a man of unclean lips. But it won't stop there. We will see that as we are below before the Lord and see his glory and see his greatness, we'll also see how great his mercy is. That he has set his love upon us. In spite of all our unchristlike ways, our harsh words, our pride, our prayerlessness, how good the Lord is. Not only do we gather that from Paul's shortcomings, but even with his shortcomings, and he had them. Even with them, Paul lived close to Christ. Now that's encouraging. He wasn't perfect. He had, like all of us, a sin nature that was alive and well within him. It was not going to go away till he died. You can't fix up the sin nature. It's forever corrupt. But he still was able to walk Closely with the Lord. I think that sometimes the devil gets God's people to believe that they have so many faults, so many shortcomings, so many blemishes, so many failings that they can never live near the Lord. Oh, somebody else, yeah, somebody else. I, I, oh, I can see how brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so can live, but it's not, it's not for me. I've just got too much wrong with me. My faith is too weak. My love is too, too cold. My ignorance of God and his word is so vast. It's not for me. I've got too many faults. I can't get close to him. But is that the witness of Scripture? 
Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of all the faithful. Boy, he had his faults, did he not? It's like the word of God sets these men, and they were eminent men, but he sets them up and he, he puts them on display. Yes, great faith, but my, he surely fell into deep unbelief when he lied about his wife. He lied, a bold-faced lie. Isaac repeats his father's lies. Jacob, the twister, the supplanter, always conniving. Yet Jacob was the one who wrestled with the angel of the Lord. His name was changed, now a prince with God. Jacob! David, he lived close to God. He had falls and failings. But he still lived close to the Lord. Peter had, Peter denying the Lord thrice. Yet that did not stop him from being able to walk in a life that was close to God. There's no sin in your past, however deep and dark it may be, that can ever prevent you from walking close to Jesus Christ from imitating him. All of these saints enjoyed that, and so can you. Do you believe that? Now, let's be honest. Do you believe that you can walk closer to Jesus Christ this incoming year than ever you have? Do you want to? The sins, of course, we have to confess. You're not going to hold on to sin and disobedience and expect you're going to walk closely with Christ. You can't do that because you're grieving the Holy Ghost and you're quenching his work in your life. The influences of the Spirit are not going to be there. Yes, confess the sins, forsake the sins, you must. Don't try to deny them. Don't try to redefine them. Don't try to excuse them. But don't let the existence of sin in your life and the blemishes that you see and perhaps many others see as well to leave you thinking that this is all you will ever know of a walk with Christ. That is one lie that the devil wants you to believe hook, line, and sinker. Rather let the sins drive you to Christ because none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good isn't that how we feel about our sins Lord I can't Lord I try but I fail and I try and I fail and that's when you go to Christ and say Lord help me 
and he loves to help his people. Secondly, and briefly, I want you to consider with me the scrapbook of Paul's life. The scrapbook. I, I'm assuming that's a word over here. It's very common in my country. People have past now, not so big anymore, but there was a day when everyone had scrapbooks. Scrapbook is one of those things that people assemble to remember the things of the past. At least things they want to remember. You don't normally find a scrapbook, unless someone's mentally ill, of all the terrible things they've experienced in life. Who wants to open up that kind of a book? It's it's all the, the good things, the pleasant things. What you find in a scrapbook often tells you a lot about the individual who compiled it. Facebook, and I don't speak with authority because I'm not on Facebook, but from what I hear, Facebook is a virtual scrapbook for many people. All the selfies, cameras out like this, and I've been here, I've been there, I've been everywhere else, as if everybody in the world wants to know where you've been and what you've done. But it's a virtual scrapbook. What about the scrapbook of Paul's life? What would you find in it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That is why he writes in verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind. Not only did Paul have a correct estimate of his present state, I have not obtained perfection. He also had a clear view of his past. Again, remember, he's using this image of a a Greek runner who dares not look behind him, who dares not take his eyes off of the goal before him, off of the finish line. That's how he has to run. If he did that, if if he looked off, it would slow him down. It would be a way of him easily tripping up. And so the only way to run all out is with your eyes straight ahead. No looking back. So if you're going to imitate Paul and therefore be an example to others in this church, in your family, in the circles you move in, if that is your desire then we're going to have to learn how to run this Christian race. And that means learning how to refrain from looking back at the past. That's what Paul did. Forgetting those things which are behind. By learning how to refrain from looking back at the past, I mean first... The sins and failures of our past. The sins and failures of our past. There are Christians who keep this kind of a scrapbook of all their past failures, of all their past decisions in life, their past sins of yesteryear or of even yesterday. And you might find if there was a title given to that scrapbook on the front cover, it would say, if only... If only I hadn't done this. If only I hadn't said that. If only I hadn't thought this. If only I hadn't made this decision or that decision. My life would be so much different. Regret. 
is what consumes them. It's very hard to imitate Christ. It's very hard to walk as Paul walked with that mindset. Looking back. And that absorption with past failure paralyzes you for the present. And you make little progress toward the goal. Why? Because you're looking back and not looking ahead to Jesus Christ and the goal that he has set before you in this race. It's very simple. It's not It's not complex. It's not hard to understand. It doesn't take a spiritual giant to figure it out why there's not the progress being made that could be made in this transformation to the image of Jesus Christ. Surely the Word of God makes it clear there's coming a day when we shall see Him as He is, and because of that we shall be like Him. So that means, does it not, that the more we see Him now as in the Word of God as He's presented, the more we're like Him, looking ahead to Christ, not looking back at the past. You see, brothers and sisters, the fact of the matter is what's past is past. You can't undo history. Learn from it, you can, but reverse it, you can't. Yesterday, last week, last year, five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, whatever, it doesn't make any difference. It's history. What's done is done. Yes, you and I can wish that we had done things differently, that we had had more power over sin, over our tongue, over our thought life, over our behavior, that we had not failed the Lord as often as we did, but all of our wishing is not going to change anything regarding the past. It's done. No point in harping on it. What's before us just now is tomorrow, today of course, but tomorrow, a new week, a new year. But what is set before us is what Paul kept before him, and that was Christ. That doesn't mean that we don't learn from our mistakes and failures of the past. We should, we must. But looking at our failures in this sense, looking at all of our weaknesses, is not going to help us to look at Jesus Christ, to imitate him. Paul did not do that. Oh, he, he, he remembers. Oh, he remembers the follies. I persecuted the church. And I thought I was doing God's service. I was all wrong. I was so smugly self-righteous. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But now I look upon that as dung. And I forget those things which are behind. 
There's something else we must not get caught up looking at, and that is the progress we've made. Again, it's the runner in mind. This is closer to what Paul is really getting at in the text. The Greek runner would be foolish to look over his shoulder to see what ground he's covered and who he's passed. I I remember looking one time at a montage of video clips on the internet of, of runners competing in various races who looked over their shoulder as they drew near the finish line and they slowed down. But they slowed down too soon because that next runner just blew by them. The runner thought he had it. He looked back. I've got this. And he didn't have it. All that should concern a runner is the piece of ground in front of him. And ultimately, the finish line, the goal. You see, if we look back at what we have accomplished in the Christian life, at what sins we've conquered, at what ground we have gained, the very real temptation is to become, again, complacent at where we are. We're satisfied. But we don't really think there's a need to dig a little deeper. There's not really a, a, a need to climb a little higher. There's not need for our love for the Lord to to, to broaden and our love for his people to become richer, more effective, more active. And whenever that, that mindset is found in the believer, you find they grow stagnant. Yet it's worse than that because that stagnancy ultimately leads to going backward and not going forward. It can become in danger of resting on past laurels. We imagine that the race is run just because we've advanced a bit here, we've advanced a bit there, and we become maybe more generous in our giving, more patient with our wives, with our husbands, with our children, We've gotten better in prayer, a little more consistent, better in our knowledge of the scriptures. That's all good, you know. That's all good. We, we should grow in the place of prayer. We should be growing there. We, we, we should have a, an ever-increasing knowledge of the Word of God. Because it's about growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you can't grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ apart from growing in your knowledge of the Word of God. That's one plus one is two. But don't stop to congratulate yourself. Thank God for what you have enjoyed by his grace, but then seek to go higher. Go higher. Go higher. I wonder what would happen if every child of God in this sanctuary this morning, made that goal his or her goal. I'm going to go higher this year. One day at a time, one day at a time. That's all I'm given is this day. Whatever I need to do, I want 
to go higher. What do you think would happen? A third and final thought. The simplicity of Paul's life. The simplicity of Paul's life. Note the next set of words in verse 13. But this one thing I do. This one thing I do. You know, Paul had made his life very, very simple. He had boiled it all down to one simple thing. This one thing I do. I've forgotten all about this. This is what my life is all about. One of the great ways that Satan has of robbing God's people of the enjoyment and the experience of Jesus Christ is to get their life's focus complicated with many things. You ever stopped and wondered why your life is so crazy? Why you're running here and running there and running everywhere? My, you're so busy, you don't really have time, any serious time for God's word, and you don't really have any serious time to be alone with the Lord in prayer. You've got this job and this chore and this errand to run. This task. There's no shortage of things, things that can steal the Christian away from the one thing that's needful. It can be the job. Oh, it's legitimate, you have to work. But has it become all-consuming to you? It can be the family. We have seven kids. Gets busy with seven kids. But you can get a place in your life where the kids are allowed to demand all your time. And you forget about there's one thing that's needful. If you're going to walk in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. It can even be church work. I've known some who have spent so much of their time in church work. First one's there, last one's to leave. It's all hours of the night, and you know what? There's someone back at home, there's a wife and there's kids, and they don't get any attention. There's a throne of grace that's not visited. The word of God is not read because we're busy in church work. But that kind of church work is profitless. Because what is needed in church work are men and women who are living close to Christ. It makes life, you can understand, therefore, a whole lot simpler when you boil it down to one thing. And what is the one thing that Paul had boiled his life down to? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I don't have the time to break it all down grammatically, but when you put this in its context, 
what Paul is striving for in his life was perfect likeness to Jesus Christ. I forgot about the past. I count all things but dung that I might know him, that I might know the fellowship of his sufferings. I might know his cross, conformable unto his death. I want to be as much as like him as I can. That's what I live for. Why? Because that is ultimately my final destiny. I will be like him. That is why he came to redeem me. That I might be like him. And in being like him, I am to the praise of his glory. Paul wants to enter into his death. I wish I had more time. But I would take you to Romans 6 and show you how that is beating at the heart of where Paul deals with mortifying the deeds of the body. Self, this sinful self dying. Dying more and more and more unto sin. And living more and more and more unto righteousness. He wants to enjoy as well his resurrection power. The power of... What did Christ say? I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Tell me, brothers and sisters, is that what we're seeing? Is that what we're enjoying? I came that they might have life. We have eternal life. But it's not just that we have eternal life. More abundant life in us. And that's what Paul wanted to experience more and more. An overabounding life in Christ. Not just another getting through a day, going to work and going home and doing all the chores. I'm not, I'm not despising that. We have to do all that. But, you know, there's so, so much more to life as a child of God in this world than we're experiencing. You believe that? Or have you become satisfied with where you are? Or you think that there's nothing more that I can ever enjoy. Do not listen to the lies of Satan. You have a new year before you. I don't know what your last year was like. I know what mine was like. It was difficult. But when I was at my lowest, the Lord Jesus always came. And he drew close to me. You know he'll do that for his people when they want him, when they feel their need of him. Paul experienced this as he sought to walk in the footsteps of Christ. And we can too. What about you?
What changes need to be made? What things need to be forgotten about in your life? What past failures and sins? What object needs to be set before you? May the Lord show us all for his own glory and for our enjoyment of the life of Christ in us. God read his word on our hearts for his name's sake. Let's pray together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this very practical word that we've heard this morning. We praise you for the pattern that has been set before us, Paul, in so far as he followed and became a mirror image of Christ. We think of Cooper's words in one of the hymns we sing, Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly freedom, a light to shine upon the road, and may we see that light shining brightly and brilliantly this year, a light that will lead us all to the Lamb. So seal the benefits of this word to our heart, and may we see it worked out in our walk. Bless our brother who has delivered it, and we pray that I will continue to comfort his heart and encourage him in the Lord. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.